I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to have you back again. Thanks for coming. I've been listening to a few of these over the last few weeks. Each week I shudder at how I've missed basic things out. Right, let's tick these off. So this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. It's a podcast about work culture, specifically how we can be happy at work. And me, thanks for asking, I'm Bruce Daisley, Brummy, vegetarian, iconic. I've had some fab feedback on the Patty McCord episode, the last one. A lot of people saying it sounded intense at Netflix. Yeah, that was my vibe too. For me, a good job's laughing all day and doing good work with friends. And it all sounded a bit Lord of the Flies to me. But each their own. I thought Patty told it well. Now, at the end of the last episode, I said, why don't you add me to your professional network on LinkedIn? And it was sort of a flippant aside that vaguely amused me. Turned out to be an error. I've had loads of randos adding me, which is, which is not to say that these randos listening to this podcast, I always have randos adding me on LinkedIn, but I felt honour bound to accept them. And the shortest measurable unit of time is the time from accepting a recruiter on LinkedIn and him asking if you need any temps. Lesson learned. I've only gone back on LinkedIn because I'm scared the people who followed me on Twitter because I talk about pop music might be getting fed up with this workshop. Anyway, that's irrelevant. I want you to think of today's episode as a book club you never got round to attending. Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In is the best-selling business book of the last five years. Cheryl is the COO of Facebook and has been indisputably one of the most successful business women of this century. Lean In is a book urging women to step forward in the workplace. It felt like something I had to cover. Sadly, Cheryl wasn't available to talk. So I've picked the brains of three different women to get their perspectives and hopefully some contrasting views. Over the next 30 minutes, you're going to hear from Dawn Foster, a Guardian journalist who wrote a critique of Lean In called Lean Out. You'll hear from Sue Todd, the star of the first podcast, who was enlightening, outstanding, brainy. You'll hear from a colleague of mine, Melissa Barnes. I work at Twitter, don't like to talk about it. I was out having some food with Melissa last week and she was so sharp on the subject of the book, she sounded like a perfect person to kick off the discussion. Melissa runs the relationship between Twitter and some of the biggest marketing companies in the world. What's the story of business books? Well, I suspect 
most of us know what the story of business books is. Half of all business books are probably unread. They're left by the side of the bed. And in fact, most of the others, we probably read the first chapter and then we lose energy. With a lot of you, perhaps that's what happened to Lean In. I would urge you to do what I did with these things. I audiobook them. I don't think it's cheating to have someone read something in your ears. We're going to kick off with Dawn Foster. I was particularly taken with reading Dawn's work, largely because, probably like you, probably like a lot of people, I decided I didn't like Lean In before I read it. Dawn wrote a takedown of Lean In called Lean Out. She normally works as a Guardian journalist, and she talked me through how she'd first encountered the work. I heard of the book a little bit, but I first kind of came into proper contact with it when a flat, an old flatmate of mine came home with the book. She explained that she was working in a tech company. She was quite senior, but she felt really, really ostracised and she felt quite bullied by a lot of her kind of junior male colleagues. And so she started a women's group with a couple of other women who felt the same. And the first the first time they held it, she booked a room for 10 and about 30 people showed up. Second time they booked a room for 30, about 60 people showed up and it grew and grew and grew because there was obviously a really, really big problem in this huge company and when it came to one of the later sessions one of the senior men walked in with a box full of copies of lean lean in and said i think girls if you just read this then it'll solve all your problems you don't need to have these little groups so i had a read of it and essentially all it said to women was you know was not stand together fight for rights etc it focused very very much on the individual and it told the individual that feminism's goals could be won just by individual women changing their attitudes and behaviors so it seemed essentially to be saying that the reason why there are so few women at the top is because only a few of these women you know like Sheryl Sandberg know precisely how to behave um and it completely kind of abdicated kind of structures and work culture and response you know of any responsibility it didn't say that the reason why women struggled because the top is because we have structures that mean that uh, men are afforded jobs more easily that when when we have children women are expected to pick up you know the brunt of the childcare and like that it all focused completely inwardly um and i thought that was a you know not true I, I know loads and loads of women who have worked unbelievably hard and and would never manage to get to the same kind of status as their husbands but also i, I just thought it was so damaging to say that any form of liberation kind of black liberation gay liberation women's liberation was purely the fault of women and black black men you know gay people themselves etc so i found it really really damaging and i thought we needed to look more at actual structures and look at wider society and that the answers don't just come from within you articulate that really well the, the fact that it's almost i'm handing you this book because it's mm. this problem that you need yeah. to, you guys need to solve this yeah i feel like in many ways it is a business self-help book and i'm sure that i spoke to a lot of people who came who, who read my book and they said that when they read lean in they initially enjoyed it they tried some of the things out in work and they said that it didn't actually change their, didn't actually change their work very much. It didn't actually manage to uh, alter their position. It just made them think more about how they could slot in better. A lot of them said that actually what they wanted to do was to push against the grain and to say to their bosses or their colleagues, etc., this isn't working for us. How can we make something that works for everyone? Whereas instead, you know, Lean In focuses very much on what you do individually and the outcomes of which should should be not like, you know, uh, 50-50 representation on boards, 50-50 representation in politics, but instead should be what you as an individual can get out of it. So whether or not you, at the end of the year, have a pay rise, whether or not you come back from maternity leave and things like that. I don't know whether it was an interview with you or in the book that you mm. talk about, you, you describe a situation in a, a meeting that you'd observed where a man was talking over everyone. You said that the lean-in solution was 
that you would carry on talking. Mm. And probably a more progressive solution is everyone says this isn't an appropriate way to run a meeting Yeah, if we're going to get everyone hurt. Yeah, completely. And I've had lots of meetings where, where that's happened. And either you follow the lean-in route where you where, where Sheryl Sandberg's um, answer is to put your hand up. So she says that the reason men talk so much in meetings is because women don't put themselves forward. Whereas what me and most of my friends and you know colleagues see is women start speaking and then are immediately spoken over. So I've had meetings where somebody's noticed that and one of the senior people picked up like a stress ball and said right you only talk if you have this in your hand we only needed it for three meetings and after that everybody kind of thought more about when they were allowed to talk and it meant that it was a lot more democratic so initially somebody said oh but we'll just end up with somebody hogging it when that didn't happen at all instead somebody would put their hand out saying can I have the stress ball it was passed around etc did was, the stress ball disappear after it did after about, did, after about after we, did, we did somebody forgot to bring it one day and the meeting was fine basically meant that instead of saying to individuals right you must get your voice heard we instead looked back and said how can we make sure that everybody does get heard how can we stop people from talking over each other and there was this really interesting article I think I think it was in New York Times recently where they talked about how um, Obama's female staff realised that they were being spoken over constantly in meetings rather than each of them individually kind of like going in full gun to try and like shout over everybody else what they started doing was backing up each other's points so as soon as one woman spoke another woman said yes I really agreed with Karen's point here Karen's point is very good and so they kept on so you know it's very common in meetings for you to say something somebody to take your idea and claim it claim it's their own the women secretly decided to back up each other's ideas follow on from each other if one woman was talking another woman would start talking like just as she was finishing that was and they said that they, they found that a really really fascinating way of actually kind of amplifying each other's voices and kind of secretly kind of going against the grain and it wasn't about the individual it was about just supporting everybody in that in that meeting fascinating but it, i guess the fundamental thing of both of those things is that it suggests that you've got a broken system mm. and you're making amends to try and fix it but like rather than fixing it by sort of changing that patriarchal construction mm. you're trying to change it in a gradual incremental way at the bottom you mentioned people women on boards i got the sense it's sort of quite tokenistic you know yeah women who go onto boards are often the people who aren't gonna create yeah. trouble i mean I, i've got a lot of friends who live in scandinavia especially in sweden and norway so i go over there quite a bit and it's very very handy for me to get them to translate things for me and obviously in norway and sweden they've had a really really big push to get women on boards and now they call them golden skirts so it's women at the top who um have very, very senior positions on these boards. And what they actually found was it didn't change the culture of the company whatsoever. And most of the women there were of the same kind of background you'd expect the men to be. So they knew people from golf clubs, they knew people from private country clubs that most people didn't have access to. Often the women were appointed knowing that those women in particular wouldn't be particularly likely to upset the apple cart or anything like that they came in and they knew that their job was just to rubber stamp rather than change culture etc just before the election last year vince cable who was the worked in um, the business department in the, in the government made a big big thing about getting more women on boards i mean you can do that or you can instead look at how to actually kind of change everything from the bottom up i think for most women having a couple of women on a couple more women on the board of um jp morgan does much less to improve their life than, than say for instance looking at what it is that J.P. Morgan does that actually uh, materially disadvantages thousands of women. That was Dawn. Here's Melissa. So I read it. I knew Cheryl and 
I knew her reputation and I like heard about the book, but I had not read any of the press, like the review, like I really, I just sort of took the book and read it. So what was fascinating after I finished it was to see like how people took different key things as their takeaway. So like a lot of my friends who worked and who were mothers were like, she doesn't understand because she's got a nanny and like their, their takeaway was so different from mine. My takeaway was, it's so hard to describe what it's like to be female and especially as you get more senior where you're having these interactions and you know something is off like it doesn't it doesn't feel sometimes it's it's like doesn't feel fair or you know that you're not being understood in the right way or whatever reason you're not moving along as far as easily as others so you have this moment where you're like is it me or is this just like a one-off situation in just between me and this individual And so what was so profound about reading it was that she was talking about experiences that I had had. She was saying things that somebody had told her, like somebody at some point said, well, I have a daughter, so you know I'm on, I'm totally cool. And I've been told that before. And you know what? That person is, like they have bias, like they're they're just not aware of it. Where it went one step beyond that for me was so helpful is she backed it all up by research. Mm. So then all of a sudden to see that, no, there's scientific research that shows that this isn't like a one-off thing, that this is actually a thing that has been validated that people tend to behave in this way and or they might say this or think this, but actually their actions are this, that it validated my own experiences and made it less about me and that one person or this other person. And it was more like, oh, this is actually a way in which people behave. And what I've done is, I, luckily, I work with a lot of great guys. And my perception is that they often are just unaware. And so if you can use those studies or that research to open up a conversation and it comes from a place of, I know you care about this. I don't think you're aware. There was this McKinsey study that showed X. like it. It puts it. It allows you to have a conversation in a way that is less subjective, because it's it's really like guess what you're one of many. Like this is just something people do. But once you become aware of it, you're more sensitive to it, and maybe you won't do it the next time because I know that's not what you really intend. So you use it as a set of proof points mm-hmm. rather than a manifesto in its totally. Life. Like right. it was I. You know I I've been leaning in. I've been sitting at the table from like that's not been my. Thing. I don't need to be told that. I So it just gave me like, yeah, it gave me data points. It gave right. me a way to sort of, and again, like it made me feel like I was not crazy. Like I'm not hallucinating. This is, this is real. Um, and so that was, that was, that was major. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing for me is that on the, on the anger scale, mm-hmm. it's actually a very reasonable book actually. I think that's where I was slightly disappointed. That's why I quite liked this character book, yeah. uh, Lean Out, because that's far more angry. It's like, yeah. we need to actively change this. Mm-hmm. And so all the evidence and the research in this, fabulous, isn't mm-hmm. it? So much evidence made me so angry. Yeah. But then the conclusion where it's your job to lean in and change it, rather than we've got to change this system. Totally. Well, and that, so that piece I did take issue with. Like, again, there's, okay, I'll give you an example. The one where you talk about, um, men, if they're 60% qualified for the job, they'll apply. Women won't apply until they're 100%. Or women are less likely to negotiate. Like that kind of stuff where it suggests that women aren't doing this or trying. That's not the case. Like I've tried. I've 
tried to negotiate and done it at the same time as a male peer of mine. And the reaction I got was, well, if, you know, when I said, I, I think I deserve a higher salary, I'm going to, you know, be traveling a lot more and doing all of this. The reaction I got was, we don't want you to take the job if you're not excited about it, just because I suggested maybe you would pay me more. The reaction the peer got, who's sim- almost exact same situation, was we love your aggression, word for word. And so, like, and I called it out. I called it out and said, like, here, I know this, ex- like, this is going on. And, and they said, don't make it political. Right. So it's just like I've had those experiences, and that's where like men need to be reading this book. Yeah, yeah. I'm, there's definitely I, I'm you know I it helped me to read it as a female, but men need to read it, and they need to be sensitive to their own cognitive bias and and how their own experiences might not necessarily be what they think they are. That's the hard thing, then, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot to put on her. Mm-hmm. You've got to write a book that men who probably the worst offenders won't want to read a book about female empowerment. Totally. Or, or just fairness. Well... But, like, how do you make... Who needs to write that book? I mean, it's, the like, the title of it is called Lean In. Like, that's speaking to women. That is. And so, like, it's almost like what would have been a better title that would have been more inclusive to men... That's where I ended up. I ended up thinking, you know what? I'm so glad when I finished it. I'm so glad the debate was started, mm-hmm. but now we need loads more. Yeah, there's such a tension on this topic. And the thing that flags for me is that we always talk about males and females when we talk about diversity. But there's so many other ways to look at diversity when you look at worldviews and where people come from and what they look like and their own experiences that represent diversity. And so I, I, to me, like the bigger issue is diversity. And, you know, I would argue that the things that we talk about in terms of um, the challenges women face, probably like you could probably go and talk to an African-American person and they would probably, a lot of these experiences would resonate. I think we need to take the conversation there. And I do think you need other patterns to look at or people to look at when you look at who you might want to model your experience after, who you might want to try to follow. And I think like, again, like you have to make the conversation one where it's safe, it's a safe place for men to be part of it. And they, you know, the world isn't going to change if, if, you know, what is it, like like 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, something crazy, they're not going to change the ratio. And so you have to have men who are saying this is important and pushing it. You know, we need more people who are shining a spotlight on all companies and saying, where are you? Like, one, one of my heroes is Antonio Lucio, who um became the c he was the cmo at visa became the cmo at hp a little over a year ago one of his first initiatives when he went in when he looked at the leadership team was to make it 50 50 men and women took him a year to do it and then he went to his agencies and he said i'm giving you one year if you are not 50 50 when i look at the leadership team that's servicing our account i will fire you we need more people who are doing that absolutely you know so it's possible that's, that's what I thought by reading the book. I was like, right, let's get serious about it. Let's get yeah. militant about it. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I don't think it's on Cheryl, actually. I think her starting the debate was all she could do. Yeah, it's not a perfect document, but it's pretty good. You know, and, and again, like the research piece of it, like it was very thoughtful. The things that she was the, thing, the, the things that she was saying that she was like, this is my experience now. What is there to back it up? You know, again, like I think it's a really worthy start, but it shouldn't be the only thing. And I think it should it should be a conversation that evolves. And again, like we need more representation. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. To finish us off, here's Sue Todd. Sue is the CEO of the marketing organisation Magnetic. I saw both the TED Talks before I clocked onto the book. I knew she'd written a book. I knew she did the TED Talk. It inspired us to do the book. Uh, and then I saw the second TED Talk where she came back and talked about the book before I read the book. And I, and I'm, I consume information better from a 20 minute speech than I do from a 300 page book even though it's a thin book so I find it really hard to read those types of books because I get why they have to write them because it's the validation and the research and all the you know insight that goes behind her opinion so and I found the TED talk inspiring then I thought I should read the book and I thought I really liked it because I really really like directional instructive books Mm. that just say there's a very simple thought at the centre of it 
listen, there's institutional issues around gender equality and there's lots of things that we can't do anything about. If you chip away at them, you mm-hmm. could take a bit more responsibility. And she's not talking to the whole world. She can't talk to working class women and she acknowledges she can't, she can't talk to everybody and it's not for everybody, that book. But for a certain level and a certain type of woman, that's quite instructional and it's quite directional. And it basically said to me, you need to take some responsibility for this. And up until that point, I thought, I don't need to take responsibility for gender equality and feminism. I had that really blanket thing of, how can you fight for something where you don't feel that you've suffered from it? And then I thought, that's a really naive and incorrect opinion. One, because I've got a daughter, so I think it happens in middle age anyway as you have kids. So you start going, well, just because I'm all right, or my perception of myself is I'm all right, doesn't mean other people are all right. And actually, if you in any way have influence and you're senior that's a really shitty position to take mm. on something that's clearly a problem. You've got kids and you've got a daughter that you're watching be subjected to some of the barriers and behavioural uh, things that you were subjected to, actually. So I had a real penny drop on things like her thing about bossy. Massive penny drop. I've always been labelled like that and I've been a bit ashamed of it. And I've heard people label my daughter that way. And I just thought, we are putting labels on her that are unhelpful to her being able to have the confidence to deliver what she's capable of in her life. So I just thought, at the same time, I found out a fact about being underpaid on something uh, compared to a male colleague that I've never, ever found out a piece of data like that before. And I was furious. So I thought, I'm not all right. And neither is everybody else. Actually, if if you're working class and you feel like you've been paid quite well and you've done right in life, you have that natural thing of, I just can't spend anymore. It's already greedy. You know, there's loads of people that have got fuck all. It's got, at its core, it says, could you please just step and take some responsibility for it and do something? My frustration with it was that I thought all of the research was brilliant. I yeah. thought, you know, I mean, yeah. you can't help but read the research and go, yes, right, okay. Yeah. I hated the bits that were sort of lean-in trademark. They were sort of like, hey, now's your time to lean in. And because it just felt like she was trying to brand the movement. And look, I, I get the reason why she did that. And look, it's ghostwritten. So like the, the, the author, the publisher has, has, has sort of done that. I sort of wish it was more of an aggressive militant manifesto, though. And, and, yeah. the end, and what I ended up thinking was, you can't expect one book to, do everything. to go the whole journey. That's what I think as well, which is why I'm okay with lean in, lean out, both have their place, yeah. both do have their place in the world. What I hate about um, those sorts of issues and feminism and gender inequality is how everything seems to be a disagreement. Why can't they just exist? Yeah. Because if if 100 people do some of the stuff that Charles Sandberg recommends, it'll move on. And if 100 people do some of the stuff that Dawn Foster recommends, it'll move on. That's all cool. You know, because your point of, just do something that you think will make a difference. Yeah, so, so I, I ended That's up thinking, where I come from. I ended up thinking, oh, it shouldn't have her face on the cover and it should be like this militant manifesto. I thought, no, that's the space for the next book to come along. But then. also, because I think it, her book reads and the TED Talks um, view like a stream of consciousness and an awakening for her, which I, which is, which I, I appreciated her honesty around and thought, if it's true, I can see she's, you know, without sounding too tossy, on a journey. So she's had a bit of a, the scales have come down from her eyes. She's had a realisation that, you know, it's not as good as it should be and she should take more responsibility for things. And some of her own actions are both inhibiting her own progress and the progress of women around her. So I thought that the tone of the book has a kind of revelation to it, which I liked and thought, well, that, that probably means she's on her way to a more, um, you know, direct manifesto. Because I think as, you realize, as your consciousness gets higher you become more aware that you need to take more direct action. Mm. Whereas I think there's an unfolding in the book, and I guess, you know, of the 10-year journey she's been on, it reads like she's coming to terms with the fact that she needs to take more direct action. And that's how I feel. Yeah. I feel like that's what's happened to me. I kind of went, 
I'm not a feminist, I don't want to be labelled it. I've done all right, thanks very much. Why can't everybody just get on with it? Uh, and then had a realisation, but actually everything's not okay. A, the data says it's not okay. B, since when did you become so selfish that just because you're okay means everybody else is okay? And B, you've got more responsibility, you need to take more responsibility for it because actually you're not as good as you, th- you're not doing as well as you thought you were. So I think a combination of things made me go, actually, I'm starting to have the scales fall from my eyes a bit. Of course, there's been some progress, that, but we should, we've been far too accepting of the pace and that we have to change it. Mm. And although some of those things are institutional, some of them can be changed by individual people leaning in, taking more responsibility, challenging more, and actually just being braver, just having more courage. Uh, I mean, the, the research in her book that struck me the most was, and I'm sure lots of people felt like that about the book, was the old experiment, the Henry Hyde, the Howard Henry experiment. The experiment that's the, the, the two professors, Harvard professors did, where they had a case study of a successful entrepreneurial woman who had largely had a lot of her success through um, being incredibly approachable, charismatic, a huge network and having a massive personal influence. And they wrote up the case study and changed one word about the case study, Heidi's name for Howard, and gave it to different sets of students to read and then rate um, the success of the individual named in the piece and how likeable they were. And they rated the two pieces, the, the people um, in the pieces, the same in terms of perception of the success, but vastly different in terms of how likeable they were. And that fund, even though every single other aspect of the article in terms of their behaviour, what they'd achieved, how they'd done it was the same. I think that central thought, which seemed to really resonate with her when she wrote the book and did with me about having to accept that you will be less liked is really fundamental, I think. So not only saying, as she suggests and she acknowledges about herself, that she's a, she wants to be liked and that can be a problem and that, that seems to, through all the research in the book, be something that more female leaders in business are, you know, subject themselves to than men. But I I just thought, gosh, it's not just a self-projection thing that, it's actually true. You do get judged more harshly and differently and you will have to accept that there are more people who will think you are less likeable to to a man. And that is, is I think, at the core of what holds many women back. And, And me, personally, you know, I don't want to be disliked. Who wants to be disliked? But I've come to accept that that might be okay. It's a bit like, you know, we've just gone through an election where it appears the standards that a woman is held to are very different than the standards that a man is held to. I think what concerned me about the Lean In book is the the fact that, uh, effectively, Cheryl was saying, you've got to win on men's terms. I think that's all that she can say. She can only speak to the reader. And she can speak to the reader and she says, this is the world as it exists this is the game you need to play to succeed. What I felt was appealing about the Dawn Foster Lean Out book was that she was saying, we need to change the, we need to change the, the world yeah. where this is okay. Yeah. And so I guess one is a micro solution. This is a self-help book f- to help you have a better career. Yeah. And one's a macro solution. Look, we need to change the whole ecology of work yeah. and life and society. Yeah, but that's probably why I like Lean In better, because yeah. I think it's more practical. On a personal level, I think it's more practical, even though I think some of the concepts in Lean Out are really important and shouldn't be forgotten. If, if, you're, if, if you read it because you go, what can I do, then I think Lean In's easier to take things away from and, and question your own behaviour around. So I thought her honesty around her own unconscious behaviour and how it wasn't helping. So I think she has one story in the book which, again, really resonated with me and I've started to really pay attention to it. This idea that girls put their hands up less. So it's true of school, but it's less true of school because school and education are quite compliant environments where 
you know, there's a structure to boys and girls putting their hands up at the same time, but it carries on all the way through. So she tells the story about the town hall meeting where she said at the end of her speech, two more questions and there's, you know, 18 hands up. So she picks the two and once she names the person who's the second person, all the women put their hands down because they think that's the end of the questions. And lots of the men keep their hands up and she asks and she allows two more questions. And that an audience member went up to her afterwards and said, I've learnt something today is to keep your hand up and told her what happened. And she was appalled by her own lack of awareness that by, you know, breaking her own rule about taking two questions, she enabled men to dominate the question session. So, you know, that sort of thing and those sorts of practical things and those sorts of tips to go, you need to watch that all the time. Every time you stand up in front of groups of people or chair meetings or have people around you, you need to watch that behaviour. Because, you know, um, and that's why I like lean in, because for me it's just a shorthand to changing your own behaviour. And if you're trying to break your own habits and you're aware that you have done some stuff that might be limiting to people you work with or your own child in any way, then you've got to have a mantra and a shorthand for correcting your own behaviour and watching your own behaviour and that's why I like it. The challenge for me is that like, some of it, so one of the things that Cheryl brilliantly says is that men are promoted for their potential and women are promoted for their achievements mm-hmm. which is, God, what a depressing yeah. truth, you know and so consequently you think, well look there's no way that telling women to put their hands up more is going to solve that you need to tell men that and you need to tell these sort of older generation men and, I, and so consequently you end up thinking, and this is my frustration of, I, I wanted this whole book to accomplish all these things. Yeah. And you can't, can you? You've got to educate generations of people and it's a long-term project. Yeah. And it's why apparently trivial things like having a female panellist on comedy shows, these things that appear tokenistic are actually so important because the more we're exposed to women in all of the places that we see men... Yeah then we recognise that there was an imbalance previously. Totally, totally. And I think it's definitely, you know, it's, it's you know, it's um, cumulative, isn't it? So if, you know, that's why I like her book, because I just think, well, that's touched a lot of people. Even if 5,000 women pull up 5,000 men for calling their daughter bossy, that's a good move. Because, you know, that language is so important. You know, it's so important. And I I fall into that. I That's the, one of the key things I've changed as a result of it. I have I have pulled people up on calling my daughter bossy. So I mean I, I thought it was I thought like all those books, you know, they've all got their place. If they if they help a number of women and a number of men raise their consciousness and do some practical things that can make a difference, then great. Yeah. Great. That's where it ended up as well. Yeah. So that's this week's episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Sue Todd. Thank you to Melissa Barnes and thank you especially to Dawn Foster who uh, wrote the fabulous Lean Out. I've really enjoyed that episode. I'd love to hear your views. Um, Please do tweet me. Don't add me to LinkedIn. Various reasons. Uh, Please send your feedback along. Next time I'm interviewing Paul Dolan who's a professor of behavioural economics at the London School of Economics. He's got fascinating views about how we can choose to be happier. I do hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please send me your feedback. Speak soon.